0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter, At John Stolness. We're going to take a look around the NFL this week, and I'm going to give you my top 10 moves of the NFL offseason thus far. There's actually 12 I'm going to talk about, but saying top 12 moves of the NFL offseason sounds stupid, so we're going to call it the top 10 moves of the NFL offseason, and then I will read 12 for you. Uh, But we're also going to talk to Gary Myers, who is a New York times bestselling author, former NFL reporter has written a ton of great NFL books. And uh, he's got a new one coming out next summer that uh, we're going to talk to him just about a little bit, but we're also going to get his thoughts on this crazy offseason. We'll talk some Tom Brady. We'll talk some green Bay Packers and we'll look inside the NFC East as well. Malcolm Jenkins retires. Where does he rank among the all-time greatest free agent signings in Eagles history? And, Looking ahead at the NFL strength of schedule next year, how are things shaping up for an Eagles team that finished a whole lot better in 2021 than they did in 2020? All that coming up here on this edition of Eye on the Enemy. Well, joining me to talk about this crazy offseason that we've seen so far is New York Times bestselling author and former NFL reporter Gary Myers You used to read him in the New York Daily News. You've seen him on HBO's Inside the NFL. He's worked for The Athletic. And specifically, he's written some amazing NFL books, Brady versus Manning, uh, a book about the Cowboys, which as Eagles fans, you know, listen, we try to keep an eye on the enemy all the time. And you want to do that? How about them? Cowboys is an excellent book. And then uh, a book about the catch. Of course, Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Gary Myers NY. Gary, thanks for for coming on eye on the enemy how are you man i'm doing great john how are you i'm good and i'm looking forward to your next book you mentioned to me that you have a book coming out next summer on life after football for the 1986 super bowl champion uh new york giants which of course uh that was right when i was cutting my teeth as an nfl fan so i mean the lawrence taylor year lawrence taylor years that's the uh, super bowl phil sims played in the phil mcconkey catch uh can you t- tell us a bit more about that book what that's going to be about
2: yeah, you know, I, I've written five books, but none of them have been New York centric. And I, I always really wanted to do a book on a something that would really be appealing to uh, not only New York fans, but give it a national scope as well. So what I came, I came up with the idea of doing a book about the '86 Giants, which is the most beloved of their four Super Bowl championship teams. But not just writing about that season, because that that's been done. Now that, that happened. You know, in 86, 87, 88, people were writing about that stuff. Right. Um, So I thought I would do the journey from winning the championship together, how that bonded the players, how now as they're all late 50s, you know, to mid 60s and experiencing life after football that most players of that age group are concerned about, um, well, they – when the the past, present and and future players – are all concerned about what's my life going to be like when I get to around sixty years old? So, right. um, I've interviewed you know many of the players. I have some really um, compelling stories about some real life issues that they're facing. And then the heartwarming part about it is how this team is really stuck together, and through the leadership of guys like Harry Carson and Phil Sims and George Martin, those that are in need are being helped through the efforts of, you know, Harry and George and Phil who have organized their teammates to help out guys who need that help. So um, I'm about halfway through my research. I'm gonna start writing it pretty soon. And uh, I'm really excited about this one.
1: That sounds like a really unique and interesting angle on a team that is full of players. We all recognize those names. Everybody who grew up watching football of that era, uh, that'll be a fascinating read. Well, definitely, I'd love to have you on once that book comes out so we can talk a little bit more about it for sure. That'd be great. Um, now, listen, uh, you wrote a book about the rivalry between Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. So I would imagine that when... You found out that Tom Brady was going to unretire, uh, surprisingly, after retiring, that your ears perked up, right? I mean, Tom Brady d- retires, and I never, I really didn't think when the season ended that he would retire, so I was surprised when he did. I guess I'm less surprised that he decided to change his mind, but were you surprised at how things worked out this offseason for Tom?
2: Well, if you look at the end result, John, I'm not surprised. Brady's going to be playing this year, which... I always thought he would, until right. he said he wasn't going to play this year. Right. You know, so I, I was <clears throat> I was somewhat surprised at his initial announcement. But then, you know, when you think about it, maybe he had just reached a point that mentally he was worn out by the grind of the NFL season, and he had so many business interests going on now that maybe this was a good time for him to walk away. But then the retirement only lasted 40 days, and um, – and, he unretired, which makes you wonder, of course, like, why did he retire in the first place? So I know there's been a lot of stories out there about friction between Tom and, and Bruce Arians. And now Bruce's curious uh, retirement from coaching this week, um, coming at a really odd time in the NFL calendar, you know, it has given further ammunition to people who really believe that they didn't get along and that Tom retired because he didn't want to play for Bruce and they came out of retirement only if Bruce was going to retire himself. I don't have any inside information on that about their rift other than about the reported rift other than what I've read. And I had not heard that myself. And so I, I can't vouch for its accuracy. I, I don't know after being under the, you know, the strict uh, reign of Bill Belichick for 20 years and then going to work for Bruce Arians, why Tom would really be complaining. But, you know, we don't know what was happening behind closed doors and in game plan meetings, team meetings, game management stuff on Sundays. So um, and, until somebody will, you know, really give any specific examples right? of that, I don't really know what to believe on that one, John.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 hard for anybody to go on the record. Uh, I mean, it's hard to make it. This, uh, it's hard to really know without somebody going on the record, you know. And and that's and that's probably never going to happen. And all Unless, you know all we've
2: heard is denials.
1: Right. Exactly.
2: From Bruce, and then you know Tom wrote his glowing post on Instagram when Bruce's retirement announcement came out. That makes it seem like it was a real love affair in Tampa with Bruce and all the players, including Tom. So. You know, publicly they've said what you would expect them to say. Right. Um, maybe at some point the truth will come out.
1: Right. Well, it's just an interesting situation. I think a lot of surprises in Tampa. Uh, and, you know, moving on from Bruce Arians to, um, uh, to Bowles, uh, the defensive coordinator, you know, Todd Bowles was probably due for another shot, at, another bite at the apple. And they they could have gone with Byron Leftwich, too. That would have been – he was a hot name. I'm surprised he didn't land a head coaching job this time around. So, um It does seem as though Arians had kind of a succession plan in place for when he was going to leave, and it sounded like he was planning to leave after this year anyway. So um, interesting situation down in Tampa. So that's just one of the crazy moves that have gone on this offseason. This has been the craziest offseason we've ever seen here in the NFL. In your eyes, what is the most, let's say, the most surprising or shocking NFL move that we've seen?
2: I would say um, the fact that Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill if they're not 1-2 is the best receivers, then, you know, certainly in the top three or four, I think happen to think Adams is the best receiver in the NFL right now. The, the fact that Aaron Rodgers goes back to Green Bay and Adams still leaves. Right. Right? I, I thought yeah. if, if Rodgers had been traded, then then Adams would, you know, maneuver his way out of Green Bay. But, you know, Aaron going back there and then Adams still wanting to leave – that I tell you that that one took me by surprise, um, but I, I did have previous uh, awareness of the very close relationship between Derek Carr and Adams from their days together at Fresno State, mm-hmm. and how they've always talked about wanting to play together. And I remember reading something last summer during training camp. I don't know if it was from Carr or Adams or just a friend of theirs. You know, with Adams coming up on his free agency year that you know, maybe it would work out that Adams would, would get to Las Vegas. Now, I didn't think that was going to happen because I didn't think the Packers would ever let him go, but they didn't want to deal with um, the whole franchise tag and whether he was going to sign it or not, and they traded him for a one and a two, and uh, th- that one really, really surprised me. Um, and, and Tyreek Hill is probably the most unique player in the league. I mean, there's just really nobody else like him only because of his speed. Oh, yeah. Uh, I I just don't think there's another receiver that's that's even close to him. And, you know, he may not be the greatest route runner, but it really doesn't matter. It's just like, hey, Tyreek, go long, and nobody can keep up with him. And the fact he still had a year to go on his contract, John, and um, I, I thought that Kansas City panicked a little bit. But Adams' contract... Uh, set a new standard. And um, from what I understand from what Drew How- Rosenhaus was saying is that th- he was close with the Chiefs on an extension until the Adams contract came about. And he goes, well, wait a minute. You know, the the bar has been raised. That's what we want. And right. Now, he didn't wind up getting quite as much, I don't think, but he came pretty close. And Kansas City, which traditionally under this, you know, the Andy Reid uh, years – They've not given third contracts to a lot of players. Sure. And, you know, Hill is, um, he's got some miles on his legs. He's not an old player, but um, they just didn't want to invest that kind of money, and they'd rather take the draft choices and, and start over with a rookie contract. But I think in the short term, this, this whole thing really hurts them because he and Mah- Mahomes really had a, a unique relationship, and, and they, was, they were so good together. And that's going to be
1: hard yeah. to replace. It's, it leaves a big hole in Kansas City's offense, and as good as Patrick Mahomes is and as much talent as they still have there, uh, he was their most dynamic player uh, as far as at the skill positions other than Patrick Mahomes. And it's a double win for the Raiders. Not only do they get uh, Devontae Adams, they also force, essentially, Tyreek Hill out of the division. It's it was That's a
2: really interesting perspective. I hadn't thought of it like that, that um, – the Raiders contract with Adams forced Hill out of Kansas City. So you're right. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's it's a double win as far as, I mean, yeah. Las Vegas could not have planned that any better, I don't think. So it was really was amazing how that all worked out. I do want to get your thoughts real quick, and I'll ask you on a couple of the quarterback moves in the AFC. We saw Deshaun Watson get traded to the Browns, obviously a controversial trade uh, given all of the -the off-the-field issues uh, concerning Deshaun Watson. And then, of course, the Russell Wilson trade to Denver. Which of these two moves do you think will have the greater impact on their team?
2: Well, that's a great question. Um, Well, I I happen to think that um, both teams, you know, seriously upgraded their quarterback um, situation. I I like Denver's offense a lot. All they needed was a Russell Wilson type to, I think they'll become an explosive offense, you know, with Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy and a lot of the other players that they have. um, And their defense is pretty good. I, I I think Denver is in better position to win right now than, than Cleveland, um, especially because John, I'd be shocked if Roger Goodell did not suspend Deshaun Watson. Right, and, and then you know whether it's four games or six games, and you have Jacoby Brissett as the backup. That's gonna he's good. He's gonna have to be the quarterback there, you know, for a month or so. Um, so I, I think that you know this coming season, Wilson will have a greater impact than Watson, strictly because of his availability. Uh, Watson's a much younger player. Wilson wants to be Tom Brady and play for another 10 years at least. Um, But I I think they'll both have a a tremendous impact on their teams. But I like Denver's team better, so I'm Mm going to say Wilson will have the greater of the two impacts. And just getting back to Watson for a second, I, I don't know if you agree with this, but how can Roger not suspend Watson?
1: Yeah, I think he has to. I mean, you don't need to be convicted of anything in a court of law in order to be suspended. We've seen that.
2: Yeah, and he actually said, you know, I thought that, you know, Watson was trying to circumvent, you know, getting fined a lot of money by reducing, I mean, his base salary for this season is a is million dollars, but his total money for this year is $46 million, and the fines are based on the paragraph five, you know, the, the base salary. So... For each game he misses, he would lose one eighteenth of one million dollars. But I was happy to hear Roger say the other day, Goodell say the other day, in his press conference at the league meetings, that it doesn't have to just be finding a guy game checks. They have the he has the flexibility um, to impose an additional fine, hmm. and, and I, I think that was a really positive thing that was said. And when you, when you think about the history of you know his suspensions and whatnot. Um, I, I just don't see how Watson's going to skate free on this one.
1: I want to turn and look a little bit more at the Eagles' main competition here inside the NFC East, and I think the Dallas Cowboys, Gary, are such an enigma. They have a ton of talent. Last year, it just seemed like everything was lined up for them to make a playoff run. They seemed to have. A lot of really good talent at the skill positions. They had Dak Prescott back. They had an improved defense with the uh, Defensive Rookie of the Year and Micah Parsons. They they seem like, as at the midpoint of the season, two-thirds of the way through, they were really chugging. They looked like a Super Bowl contender, and it just it fizzled and fell apart. And they've never been able to put together a long postseason run, really, since the Super Bowl championship all the way back in 1995. In your estimation, what's holding the Cowboys back? And what do you think their outlook is for 2022 after an offseason in which they've done more subtracting than adding?
2: Yeah, when you, when you think about it, not only having they been to the Super Bowl since 1995, that was also the last time they made it as far as an NFC championship game. That's right. That's right. So it, it's been a really long drought there. I mean, it, it is pretty amazing because they've had some good teams in the last 25 years and, and they've just lost a lot of playoff games that they probably should have won. Yeah. They've they've lost some home playoff games. And um, losing to San Francisco this year uh, really, um, I think, accentuated the coaching differences uh, between the 49ers and, and the Cowboys. That Kyle Shanahan at this point is a much better head coach than Mike McCarthy. I, I'm not impressed with what McCarthy has done um, in uh, in in Dallas, and, um, and you're right. They they've lost a bunch of players. Uh, they gave away Amari Cooper. I wonder what they're thinking now when you when you see what's happened into the wide receiver market, and what uh, Kansas City got for Hill, and what Green Bay got for um, Adams, and, and the the Cowboys got a late round pick for Cooper. That's true. Um, and. and it's a weak division, okay? I think we can probably yeah. agree on that. And yeah. the Cowboys are probably still the most talented team, despite some of the things that have happened there in the offseason. But there's just something missing. I don't necessarily think it's personnel. I, I, it's really hard to put a finger on why a team that year in and year out, for the most part, over the last 25 years or so, I'd say more than half the time you can point to them and say they were probably the most talented team in the NFC East, why they can't get over the hump. And, you know, losing a home playoff game to, to the 49ers, I think just, there's just problems there. Yeah. And I, you know, people blame Jerry Jones, but their drafts have been good. And yeah. um, maybe they've overpaid to keep some of their own players, That's caused some cap problems, but... There's just an intangible that's missing from that team, and um, it shows up year after year. It seems we get to Thanksgiving every year, and we say, this could be the year for Dallas, and then they stumble to the finish line, and then they get eliminated really early in the playoffs.
1: I just don't think that they have been able to find a really smart young head coach To take them to the next level. They keep bringing back retreads or they, they bring back or they keep, they hold on to coaches that just, you, you can clear You can clearly see they, they don't have what it takes to make a team better. And and it really is. It really is amazing how it seems like every year the Cowboys run into the same problem late in the season and in the playoffs. Um, I did want to talk to you a couple other things about Washington commanders taking a chance now on Carson Wentz. As Eagles fans, obviously, we, we continue to watch what Carson Wentz does around the league. And I, I think, generally speaking, as a former huge Carson Wentz booster myself... I'm curious to see if we are going to be proven wrong at some point, right? You know, if Carson Wentz is going to turn it around, he's going to he's going to rediscover the 2017 or even the 2018 and 2019 versions of himself someplace else. But you, you hear the comments coming out of Indianapolis from Jim Ursay. It sounds like that was a very personal decision for him to want to get rid of Carson Wentz, even without a a backup plan in place at the time of the trade. And now Washington takes on Carson Wentz, who has now left two organizations with both of those organizations kind of trashing him on the way out a little bit. Is Carson Wentz an upgrade for, for Washington? How how do you see that working out?
2: Honestly, if, um, if Ryan Fitzpatrick was healthy, I'd rather have Ryan Fitzpatrick as my quarterback than Carson Wentz. I know, um, You know, Fitz really hasn't won anything over the years, but he's a great locker room guy and you keep hearing things that Wentz is not a good locker room guy. Yeah. If you just evaluate the situation in Indianapolis, okay, he's got Frank Reich who loved him. They gave up a lot to get him. He put up really good numbers as far as touchdowns and interceptions. Yeah. They should have made the playoffs. I mean how they lost to Jacksonville in the last game of the year is beyond me. Right. And they couldn't wait to get rid of him. A coach that loved him on a team that gave up a lot to get him after a year with really good numbers, you know, they couldn't wait to get rid of him. So in in that situation, because of that situation, I have severe doubts whether Carson Wentz could ever really take a team, maybe get them to the playoffs at some point, but whether he's the guy that's ever going to get, in, in this case, the commanders to where they want to go. To have two teams give up on him they gave up a lot to get him because, remember, the Eagles traded up to get oh, okay. right? And yeah. then the Colts gave up so much to get him. And, and now Washington, you know, takes them on. I, I don't know what they know or what they think they know that uh, the Eagles and, and the Colts didn't know. But uh, when that happened, I tweeted, good news for the Giants. Carson Wentz is back in the NFC East.
1: It, I mean, it is. And it's good news, I think, for the Eagles, too. Of course, the nightmare scenario is Carson Wentz coming into Lincoln Financial Field and, and, and lighting up Jonathan Gannon's defense, which, you know, we, we live under a certain cloud here in, in the Philadelphia area. But uh,
2: I wouldn't and, worry about that too much, though.
1: No, I'm not. It's definitely not keeping me up, for sure. Uh, I do want to ask you before I let you a last thing about the Eagles, and I want I wanted to get your thoughts on Jalen Hurts. I, I always ask anytime I talk to somebody for the first time. I want to get their thoughts on Jalen Hurts. Uh, if you had to place a wager on it, I know we can't really see into Hurts' future right now, but do you think do you think Hurts can be the long term solution at quarterback for the Eagles?
2: I just don't think he throws it well enough, and this has turned out to be more than ever a quarterback league. Now he he's got. I hate to use this expression, but, you know, he's got such a varied skill set. We always hear about the skill sets because he, you know, he, he really is a dangerous runner, and, and that's a great element to add to what a quarterback can do. But I, I just, I've just i seen enough of him now in his two years. I just don't think he throws it well enough to ever be a quarterback that wins a championship. I, I think he's a very, very good backup quarterback, you know, somebody that you can win with over a short period of time. Right. I just don't know that he's a a starting quarterback on a team that can go deep into the playoffs. I mean, for the Eagles' sake, you know, I hope I'm proven wrong. Right. Um, But I I just – I really have not been overly impressed uh, from what I've seen uh, in the games where he had to throw the ball to win. Right. And, again, because quarterbacks – but quarterbacks have always been the most important player on any team. But now so more than ever, if you don't have a great head coach and you don't have a great quarterback, you've got no chance.
1: Uh, that's, that is absolutely 100% correct. And uh, the Eagles are still not sure about either, either one of their two, uh, you know, those, those two elements, the, the head coach or the quarterback as, as we head into 2022. So it kind of feels, I think Eagles, that's the, the general feeling among Eagles fans is we kind of feel trapped in purgatory just a little bit. It could be a whole lot worse than it is. Could be better than it is. We wish we had a little more certainty with certain aspects of well, the team. Well, I but. mean, Eagle
2: fans just got to rely somewhat on the fact that they did win a championship just a few years ago. I know it probably yep. seems like 20. And that's what I you know, I tell Giant fans, and I'm not trying to sugarcoat how bad the Giants have been for the last 10 years because they've been awful. But starting in 1986 was when the, when the Giants won their first championship. Only the Patriots have won more Super Bowls than the Giants, over the last 35 years, the Giants have won four, the Patriots have won um, six, and no other team has won four. So, you know, misery loves company. So when the Giants are going <laughs> bad, oh, oh, woe is me and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, if you look at the big picture, I think there are a lot of fan bases would say, you know what? Four championships in the last 35 years, and the most recent one is 10 years ago, which was the second one in four years during that period of time, I mean that's not bad. It's just that the Giants are just pitiful right, right now and, and fans don't want to be comforted by, well, you know, we've had our really we've had our shining moments. Right. So that that should, you know, rationalize them being so bad now.
1: Well, it is one of the wonderful things about YouTube. You can pull up Super Bowl highlights anytime <laughs> you want. <laughs> That's what I do uh, whenever I'm starting to feel a little bit frustrated. But uh, listen, folks, uh, make sure you are following Gary on Twitter for all of his thoughts on what's going on around the NFL. Again, it's at Gary Myers NY, And, of course, uh, uh, we will talk to Gary uh, very soon once his, uh, once his new book on the 1986 Giants comes out. And, you know, hey, maybe sooner than that, just to talk a little ball, uh, just to, you know, shoot the breeze anyway. Gary, thank you so much for coming on Eye on the Enemy. I really appreciate it.
2: Hey, john anytime it was a pleasure to talk to
1: you well up next i'm going to give you what my top 10 moves of the offseason have been thus far and again it'll be more than 10 but i don't care and then uh, we'll talk about malcolm jenkins retirement where he ranks among the all-time greatest free agent signings in eagles history and we'll take a quick look at the eagles schedule next year how does it rank in terms of its easiness or difficulty that's all up next here on eye on the enemy
0: Support for
3: this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT, to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian.
1: And we're back with Eye on the Enemy. So, again, Gary and I just talked about it a few minutes ago. What a crazy offseason this has been here in the NFL. But I think when we run down the list of different things that have happened, you're going to be amazed how in some offseasons, number 9 or 10 or 11 or 12 on this list would almost certainly be in the top two or three things to happen in an off season. But this has been this has been a couple of months where we've seen so many big-name quarterbacks change teams via trade, big-time wide receivers. The best wide receivers in football, trading te- trading teams, trading places, uh, teams getting all kinds of draft picks. It's just been absolutely crazy. People retiring and unretiring, for crying out loud. Uh, so here are my top 10 moves, and again, there's 12 of them, of the NFL offseason thus far. Number one, Tom Brady retiring and then unretiring. I I thought it was... I, I was shocked when he retired. I didn't think he would, especially given the way they lost. They looked like they were going to get blown out, and then they came back and tied the game late, only, only to see the Rams win very late in the game. I just felt like Tom Brady wouldn't want to go out like that. Apparently he did, and then he didn't. We don't know the reasons why, really, he decided to come back. Maybe family life, the idea of family life, wasn't great for him. Maybe it is because he knew that Bruce Arians was not going to return. Or he told the Buccaneers, I'll come back if Bruce Arians leaves, and you know, then they can put him someplace in the front office like, like they're doing. Who knows what the decision-making process was here. But at the end of the day, Tom Brady retired, and then unretired, and I still don't really have any idea why all of those things happened the way it happened. But for a team in the, like in the Buccaneers who, when Tom Brady retired, it looked like they would be taking a big step backwards this year because there really is no Tom Brady to replace him with, now suddenly they are probably the NFC favorites along with the Rams once again going into the 2022 season, which is, again, why I thought he wouldn't retire. They were still really, really good with Tom Brady playing at an elite level. The number two move of the NFL offseason thus far, Russell Wilson traded to the Broncos. And we were really hoping we would see Russell Wilson come to Philadelphia. At least many of us were hoping that we would see Russell Wilson come to Philadelphia. At the end of the day, he does get traded to Denver. He wanted to stay on the West Coast. He did not want to come to the East Coast and play for Philadelphia or Washington and I'll be honest with you, he's probably in a better situation there in Denver. He's got a little bit more talent around him than he would have here in Philadelphia. Although, who's to say who the Eagles might have been able to snag in a trade if they traded for Russell Wilson? Or who knows who they may have been able to snag in free agency if they'd been able to get Russell Wilson to Philadelphia. But Russell Wilson moving from the NFC to the AFC And moving to a division in the AFC West that is going to be probably the strongest division we've seen in the NFL since the glory days of the NFC East in the late 80s and early 90s. It's going to be a meat grinder. It'll be very interesting to see who emerges by the end of the season from the AFC West. But Russell Wilson certainly gives the Broncos a real shot to win that division and makes them Super Bowl contenders right now. The number three move of the NFL offseason. And I think it's not only just the player, but also all of the controversy that surrounded it and how long this trade took to complete. And that is Deshaun Watson getting traded to the Cleveland Browns. And now the Cleveland Browns have to figure out what they're going to do with Baker Mayfield. Mayfield will almost certainly be on the move at some point. Now, but Baker Mayfield moving from the Browns to, to somewhere else wouldn't make this list. That's how crazy this list is. And Deshaun Watson is undoubtedly a talented quarterback. I know many of you listening were pining for Deshaun Watson to come to Philadelphia. Again, like Russell Wilson, he didn't want to come to Philadelphia. Instead, he goes to Cleveland, where he does have some good talent around him there. But the Browns are a perennially underachieving team. And here you get a guy who has played lights-out football but hasn't really won a whole lot. He he did go to the playoffs a couple of times with the Houston Texans. He did win a playoff game with the Texans, but in his best statistical season two years ago in the 2020 pandemic season, the Texans won four games with Deshaun Watson leading the charge. Now, Again, Watson was great. He had DeAndre Hopkins. That was, not the, that was not the problem with their team. They had no run game, and they had no defense whatsoever to speak of. But Sean Watson will make the Browns better. He is a better player than Baker Mayfield. But as Gary mentioned, the question is, is he going to get suspended? And how much of the season will he miss next year? How long will the Browns have to live without him? It it certainly thinks, I certainly think that it will be a a month or so, if not more than that. We'll have to see what Roger Goodell hands down. But Deshaun Watson getting traded to the Browns is a big move, especially uh, inside the AFC. Yet another quarterback, he didn't change conferences, but yet another really good young quarterback stays in the AFC. Number four on my list, and I think this is a move that by the end of 2022, We will look back on and say this was a monster move, and it kind of went underreported simply because of the move that came before it. But Matt Ryan going to the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts have a lot going for them at every other position on the field except the quarterback position. We saw Carson Wentz and what he did in Indianapolis last year, and you heard Gary mention it. The numbers were great, but there was obviously something that was going on in Indianapolis. And now, so you bring in Matt Ryan, a guy who's a proven winner. A guy had a good year last year. We talked about it on the podcast last week, almost 4,000 yards passing, had a decent touchdown to interception ratio for a very bad Atlanta team. He actually helped the Falcons be a little bit more competitive than they probably would have been. Matt Ryan doesn't have a lot of years left to him, but I think you pair him with Frank Reich, you get him on a team that has a lot going for it. I think he is certainly a more stable option than Carson Wentz. He's not going to play hero ball. He's going to stay within the system. He's going to take what the defense gives him, and he's going to to connect on the long ball every once in a while. I think Matt Ryan is going to be a huge upgrade for the Colts, and if there's a surprise team in the AFC next year, I think it's Indianapolis going on a deep playoff run with Matt Ryan under center. Number five, and again, this story, this move would probably be number one in any other offseason, but Tyreek Hill being traded from the Chiefs to the Dolphins. I don't know how Kansas City is going to recover from Tyreek Hill leaving and going to Miami, but Tyreek Hill certainly makes the Dolphins a better team, certainly does make Tua a better quarterback, one would think, and... It's a very interesting fit there in Miami. We'll see how that all works out. Number six, it isn't any one move that the Cincinnati Bengals have made, but solidifying the right side of their offensive line with a new center, a new right guard, and a new right tackle. Lyle Collins, uh, the biggest name, uh, moving to Cincinnati. Now, all of a sudden, Joe Burrow has protection. Look out, everybody. Now, are the Bengals, as the Super Bowl losers, going to take a step back next year, especially in a conference that has seen such an influx of talent over these last couple of months? I think you'd be hard-pressed to pick the Bengals to return to the Super Bowl simply because of the competition, but I do think Cincinnati is going to be a better team next year. And that's, you know, that's the other side of that coin, you know? You can make yourself better, but you may not have a better chance of winning a Super Bowl from one year to the next. And I think that's what we might see with Cincinnati. But all of the offensive line help that the Bengals went out and got Joe Burrow this offseason, I have as my number six move or set of moves here in the offseason thus far. Now, Aaron Rodgers' contract extension and his decision to stay in Green Bay, I have at number seven. This would definitely be higher on the list if Devontae Adams didn't leave Green Bay For Las Vegas. So I don't know how how good the Packers are going to be next year without their best wide receiver. So I have Aaron Rodgers' contract extension as number seven, but Devontae Adams leaving for the Raiders as number eight. Because those two guys we thought were going to, at least for next year, give the Packers another run to an NFC title. And we know that they haven't been able to do it over the course of their careers playing together. Aaron Rodgers has not won an NFC title game an NFC title game since 2010 when he won the Super Bowl. So there's no long history of Rodgers and Adams going to Super Bowls together, but you would have thought they give the Packers their best chance, and they they would have. But Adams wanted to go play for his buddy Derek Carr and go play for the Oakland, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders. And so I have Rodgers at seven, Devontae Adams at eight because Adams leaving for the Raiders is a is a it's an earth shaking move in the NFC. I probably should flip flop them. I probably should have Devontae Adams at seven, Aaron Rodgers at number eight. I think that's where I'm going to go. Devontae Adams at seven. Aaron Rodgers at number eight. Number nine, Von Miller going to the Buffalo Bills. We know Von Miller still has a ton left in the tank. We saw that in the Super Bowl. And now he's going to a Buffalo Bills team that I think most people believe are the favorites to come out of the AFC next year. Oh, boy. Number 10, Carson Wentz traded to the Commanders. Anytime you've got a a quarterback who would have been an MVP winner in a season in which he helped get his team to the Super Bowl. Anytime he changes teams, that's a big story. And when you have all of the drama surrounding Carson Wentz, his time in Philadelphia, the way things absolutely imploded in Indianapolis, all the stuff Jim Ursay has said this week, the fact that the commanders took a look at all that and said, yeah, we want to get in on the Carson Wentz business, but I kind of get it too. The commanders needed a quarterback and they struck out on Russell Wilson. They struck out on Deshaun Watson. They struck out on anybody that they wanted to try and bring in. And they figured Carson Wentz probably has the most upside out of anybody out there. And there is no options in the draft that, that they can turn to. And so they're willing to roll the dice on Carson Wentz. It's a huge roll of the dice, but really it's one that they, they don't really have another option. They were going with Taylor Heineke otherwise. And you're not winning with Taylor Heineke. You could win with Carson Wentz, but it's highly unlikely. And then, okay, those are my top 10. I'm going to throw two more in there because these are also huge moves. Khalil Mack going to the Chargers. Khalil Mack is an awesome player. And the fact that he's leaving the NFC to go to an AFC team, a Chargers team, that should be a whole lot better with one of the great young quarterbacks in football, Justin Herbert, slinging the rock around. The Chargers in that AFC West, you're going to have to contend with them. If If you're Denver, if you're Kansas City, if you're Las Vegas... You're going to have to contend with those LA Chargers. And then you have Allen Robinson going to the Rams. The Rams get another target for uh, Matthew Stafford as they try to make another run to the Super Bowl next year. Right now, I think I think the Rams are probably the favorites. I wouldn't have said that, but at the end of the season, I don't really don't like picking a repeat champion, but... Really, L.A. seems to have all the pieces in place to make another run to the Super Bowl. So those are my top 10, top 12 moves of the NFL offseason thus far. All right, a couple other things before we wrap up this edition of the podcast. Malcolm Jenkins announced his retirement this week. Uh, obviously, he finished the last couple of seasons in New Orleans, but we will remember him as one of the most, if not the most important defensive member of the 2017 Super Bowl 52 champions. Uh, What a tremendous career Malcolm Jenkins had. And trying to think about where he ranks among all-time Eagles free agent signings. The Eagles have not had a ton of great free agent signings throughout their history. They've had some really good ones, but Malcolm Jenkins is undoubtedly in the inner circle of greatest free agent signings in team history. For me, Troy Vincent is probably number one. When you consider how productive he was at cornerback over the years, all of the big moments, the big plays that he had when Andy Reid was head coach, uh, and just what a a model citizen he was uh, in the locker room and off the field. Troy Vincent, to me, money has never been better spent than the Eagles going out and signing Troy Vincent. And I think right behind him is John Runyon. When you think, uh, it was really Andy Reid's first big free agent addition a huge hulking left tackle to protect Donovan McNabb and that's what he did for the for for more than a decade was you know he had his issues with Michael Strahan we we all know that but John Runyon was one of the very best there was at left tackle and he showed us that you cannot be a consistent winner if you don't have stability along the offensive line specifically at the left tackle position. And John Runyon brought the Eagles that year after year after year. At three, I would probably slide Malcolm Jenkins in at that point. Uh, number four, Nick Foles. Look, Nick Foles, when he came back as a free agent, never was the team starter. He was never the starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles When after the Eagles re-signed him. Now, obviously, the Eagles drafted him, and he played as the starter for a number of years uh, with the Eagles, um, The first time around, but then, of course, signing him as a free agent, he was signed as a backup quarterback for the 2017 team, and we obviously all know what he did during that Super Bowl run. And then the following year, when he subbed for Carson Wentz again and took the Eagles on another playoff run, including the double-doink game in Chicago— For that alone, Nick Foles, for for what he did in Super Bowl 52, you have to rank Nick Foles probably number four among the all-time Eagles' greatest free agent signings. And then after that, I think it's a a mix of players. I don't know that I could put these in in a particular order. Ricky Waters, you have to look at the the seasons that he had. I had forgotten this. Ruben Frank mentioned this in his story, how productive Ricky Waters was. From 1995 to 97, Waters averaged more than 1,700 yards of total offense, third most in the league, behind Barry Sanders and Terrell Davis. Two guys who are in the Hall of Fame, by the way. He is the only Eagle in team history with three straight 1,000-yard rushing seasons. Think about that. I did not know that little tidbit of information. He also had 400 receiving yards in each of those seasons, something only nine other players have ever done. He had a very good three seasons in Philadelphia, did Ricky Waters. And then Asante Samuel... He got made fun of a lot for not being able to tackle anybody, but the dude was a ball hawk and got to the ball a lot, made a lot of big plays, a lot of interceptions, a lot of splash plays. William Fuller, they he they got him at the end of his career. William Fuller was a sack machine, man. If you, if this Eagles team had a William Fuller on it, they'd be so much better along the defensive line. That's what this team really needs. They need a they need a guy like William Fuller to come in and just just get to the quarterback, man. And I think you also look I have to look at Alshon Jeffrey. When they signed him to a free agent deal before the 2017 season, he was a missing piece, but he came in and was a number one receiver, and he was also good in 2018. It really was after that that things started to fall apart, but Alshon Jeffrey for a couple of seasons was awesome, and he made huge plays down the stretch and in the playoffs for the Eagles when Nick Foles was quarterback, but also made big plays for Carson Wentz all season. I think you have to put Alshon Jeffrey in the mix there, and then Mike Vick. You know, whether you wanted Mike Vick on the team or not, Mike Vick when he was here for a couple of seasons was the most electrifying player in team history. And I'm yes, I'm including Randall Cunningham. He was more electrifying than Randall Cunningham when he was here. It's pretty close, but it was obviously a free agent signing that Andy Reid took a lot of heat for. And at the end of the day, it, it did pretty much work out, at least for, for a couple of seasons. All right, let's take a look real quick. Last thing at the Eagles' schedule for next year. I'm not going to run down the whole list, but Sharp Football Analysis uh, took a look at the uh, 2022 NFL strength of schedules based on projected win totals and computed that the Washington Commanders have the easiest strength of schedule for the 2022 NFL season. That's that's good news for, for Carson Wentz and, and Washington fans. But your Philadelphia Eagles aren't fall behind. The next easiest schedules, according to Sharp, in order, are the Chicago Bears and then your Philadelphia Eagles. So the Eagles, the third easiest schedule in the NFL next year, followed by the Colts and the Seahawks. How accurate is this? Well, last year, the top seven teams with the easiest schedules were heading into the year, the Bills, the Buccaneers, the Bengals, the Broncos, the Eagles, the Dolphins, and the Cowboys. So Sharp's 2021 NFL strength of schedule methodolo- methodology correctly forecasted that six of these top seven teams would rank inside the top 10 easiest schedules, only the Bengals did not. So it's pretty good analysis based on wind projections. You can expect this Eagles team to have a relatively one of the easiest schedules in the NFL, and we all know how important that was for the Eagles to make the playoffs last year. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. My thanks to Gary Myers once again for coming on the podcast. Just a reminder, everybody, to read BleedingGreenNation.com each and every day and check out all the other podcasts we have here at the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed. Leave a five-star rating and a review for Eye on the Enemy. Let me know what you think about the show and uh, tell your friends about Eye on the Enemy and the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed as well. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time here on Eye on the Enemy.